rising above. So it's wonderful. If, this is not just for the, for the chosen frozen to paint up here. If, you, if your gift is writing songs or drawing pictures or sometimes in a prophetic expression, uh, it, it brings about the prophetic. Um, so, so, yeah, well done, guys. Keep that up. It's beautiful. Amen. Yeah. And the musicians, we love you guys, eh? Good morning, church. I am um, sure in the, the hour left this morning. I don't know how I'm going to get all this done. But uh, can we start off with the, the collection? We're going to take up the offering. As, as uh, the guys come up, just to say thank you. I sent out a letter just as an update saying, praise God. Um, it's good in the house. Appreciate the partnership. I think we've moved from a, a duty-driven giving to a, a cheerful giving. And in that, there's a little bit of a riskiness because people might find that they weren't so cheerful in the past. So uh, we've had to um, pray together as we take up the offering in the morning and saying, what we do here is partnership in the gospel. It's not a duty, fear-based, uh, curse-feared thing we do. It's a blessing response to His goodness and graciousness and that we can be part of that by bringing our offering and our tithe. So as we do that, let's take our offering in our hands or if you're doing it electronically, just close your hand and say with me, Father God, thank you for the grace of giving. Thank you for the privilege of giving for the gospel, this glorious message. I send out this seed into your harvest field to bring forth a great return. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, as you do that. And then also just to draw your attention to the notices, you'll notice that um, James left out the first one. So can we all read together? <laughs> Important church meeting. Okay. This Tuesday night is our deacons meeting. We always kick the term off. And, uh, but I'm wanting to open it up and extend it to whoever would like to come as uh, we do have some very important news and that's going to be a wonderful acceleration in our church, but certainly we would like to have you present on Tuesday as we, as we speak about these things in terms of going forward and uh, big, big changes and... In the meantime, please be praying for Janet and I in this, because we are very excited, like parents about to give birth to a baby, but there's all that apprehension that goes through it. And I know what I'm talking about. I always ask for a lot, Lomiki. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> Janet says to me yesterday, why didn't I just enjoy my own babies as much as this? He's a delight. Amen. Have you got your Bible with you? I want to draw your attention to a scripture in Hebrews as I've been waiting and praying about this morning. Um, there's, a, there's a passage here that has caught my heart. I believe it's a, a word for us as a church right now. and because that's all I've got to do in the week, is try and hear from God and study His Word. What a delight. What a joy. Amen. This is the whole Gospel. Genesis to Revelations. 
And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9, speaking from a heading, taking away in order to establish, the writer says this in verse 9. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. That's the ESV translation. The King James says, take away the first in order to establish the second. The NRV says, set aside the first in order to establish the second. Um, But it's a removing of the first in order to establish the second. And what is he talking about here? What is the first and what is the second? And you always have to go to the context of a passage to find that out. Scripture has to interpret Scripture. You, you can't just read your own ideas into what the first is and what the last is. And uh, there's a very clear understanding of what that first and last is. So if we read from verse 5, we'll see the context. Therefore, when Christ came into the world... I wonder if, I don't know if, can we have that up, uh, Gareth? I know everyone's Bible's open. Can we read from verse 5? Um, okay. Therefore... When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will. Underline will, O God. Now, in giving an explanation of this passage... He then says, he goes on to verse 8 where he says, first he said. He's referring to this passage that Jesus, that speaks about Jesus. It was Jesus who said, sacrifice and offerings, sin offerings you did not desire. Okay? And then in verse 8 he's giving a commentary on that passage by saying, first he said. You see that? Sacrifices, offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Gee, God wasn't pleased with them. But he gave them to be done. Now I think we're starting to understand how that whole thing works together. The the law was holy and pure and good, couldn't make man holy, pure and good. We love the law, but for the reason it was given. And the sacrifices were in place, but that wasn't what God's pleasure was in. And what his pleasure was in is what was established. And he carries on in verse 9 and says... Here I am to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And here's the second coming up, right? Verse 10. By that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ one day when He comes again. As we keep Becoming more like Him. As we are being sanctified. Now it says, once and for all. What Jesus did was once and for all, and that what is being meant by verse 9 when He says, I have done away with the first in order to establish the second. So I want to just talk a little bit into the subject because I was quite intrigued by this verse of Scripture. Take away, say take away, in order to establish, say establish. And I, I did what all preachers do when they see a verse like that, is you look at Scripture to interpret Scripture. So you look at the context, and then you go and 
find other passages that deal with the same subject and allow them to cast light on that verse. Because if we don't do that, then we can find one verse anywhere in the Bible and we can say, ah, look. But if we don't do correct expository on it, we can run into all kinds of conclusions and applications. So what is this taking away? It's the old covenant. And what is establishing is that we've been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all. Now some of us are starting to believe this. Some of us are still on a journey into this. But Romans 16 verse 25 says, these verses will come up, but if you'd like to make notes, and you can go back and check them out for yourself. Now to Him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. So what are we established in? The gospel. Paul says this at the end of the book of Romans. He's just spent 16 chapters unpacking the gospel. And then he says, this is how you are established. So some things are taken away and we are established in something new. In fact, in doing a little bit of a word search around take away in order to establish, I found an intriguing scripture in uh, Romans 10 verse 3 that is sort of an antithesis of this establishing or, or an opposite of what the gospel establishes. And he says in 10 verse 3, For being ignorant... Uh, next verse, in my notes, 10 verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, the gift of righteousness, the righteousness God wanted to provide, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. See how important submission is, but to the right things. Submit to the gift that He was providing that would establish them. This is what they came to be established in, but they were trying to establish their own. Okay, so let's... I I, want to just, in my next point, some things that are taken away. And I went through, from Genesis to Revelations, looking at when God takes away in order to establish. When God takes away in order to establish. And there were a few key ones that came out for me, and I want to just really run the scriptures past you. But in Romans 11 verse 27, it says, And this is my covenant that I will make with them when I take away their sins. And I, I fear that out of familiarity, when we hear that phrase, we think, yeah, 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 101 Christianity. But it's never really sunk into our hearts. There's a difference between God just forgiving us and God imputing righteousness to us. And in order to, when He imputed righteousness, when Jesus became sin on the cross, you and I became the righteousness of God. That if we don't really have a revelation and understanding of that, we cannot be established in the new covenant, which is the gospel. So he takes away something to provide something. As a, a friend of mine, Wayne, some of you know him down the coast, he says it like this. I love his quote. I've got to quote him on this. What is removed is replaced by something infinitely more valuable. And that's true of the dealings of God in our lives, in your life. In my life. When God takes away, He replaces it with something infinitely more valuable. 
And many of the pictures in the Old Testament of when a promise came to Joseph, but then we see him in the prison, and he felt like he'd lost everything. It was en route to God's provision of something infinitely more valuable. God never takes away without wanting to establish. God never removes anything from your life. That, that when you continue to trust His character, but that He won't establish it with something infinitely more valuable. And this is true of that scripture in Hebrews where He removes something to replace it with something more valuable. But in the removing on, of it, we can sometimes leave a vacuum. And that's not what we want to do. So I want to look in a few moments at what replaces that vacuum. But let's carry on. So, so we see some things that are taken away. Romans 11:27, and then Hebrews 9 verse 28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for Him. For this to happen, there was something that wasn't taken away. In Matthew 26, verse 42, it says, Jesus, he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if this is possible, for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. We're all familiar with that. When Jesus faced the prospect of becoming sin, facing the pit of hell, facing that thundercloud of of, of, of distance and separation from God, when, when he felt that and he was sweating blo- bl- blood, like drops of blood, he sweat like bl- drops of blood, something like that, he, he, was, he was in anguish and he said, can this cup be taken away? My friend, if that cup had been taken away, we could have never gathered around this cup and lifted it up and said, the new covenant of his blood. And Jesus was taken away in the prime of life, so that you and I could be established. Established in the gospel. Some other things that, that, that are taken away. Okay, so, so sin, we, we, we kind of, we've dealt with that. We still need to fully appreciate it, but we at least believing that. Let's look at some other things that are taken away. Uh, John 11 verse 20, 39 says, remember, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus and um, Mary and Martha, his brother, and, and Martha came running to him, a little bit offended, if you'd been here, Lord. And it's a beautiful prophetic picture because Jesus says, only believe. See, Jesus came to bring a new covenant in. It was a covenant of faith. Only believe. He was in that time between the prophets and the coming of the Holy Spirit. He was in that time of bringing in his kingdom, which would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he said, only believe. Let's get back to the Abrahamic covenant, which was a believing covenant. It was trusting the character of God covenant. It wasn't, if I do this, I'll get that. If I don't do that, that, then I'll get that. It wasn't a fear and performance driven covenant. It was a faith covenant. Jesus says, only believe and you will see the glory of God. Then Jesus goes to the tomb and he says, take the stone away. And then a beautiful picture unfolds of Lazarus coming out and needing to be unbound. You see, whenever the word of truth is declared and spoken, people come free. And they are brought out of bondage. But it's quite interesting there that the stone first had to be moved away. What does the stone represent? What was the commandment written on? The Mosaic covenant was cemented, excuse the pun, in in what was written on stone. 
And on that stone was, was a holy, righteous command given by which man knew he deserved death and hell. Because no man could ever match up to that. And only when that is removed and the word of Christ is spoken and says, let my people free come out, can they be unbound. And then we experience the glory of God. 2 Corinthians says that when Moses preached, there's a veil over their eyes. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted and removed. And that's a greater glory. The first glory was, was fading. It was a condemnation. It was uh, fear-based. But what Jesus brings in is a freeing, ever-increasing glory. So we see that the law has been removed, taken away. Religion has been taken away. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 14 says, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You see, my friend, by turning to the Lord is putting our faith in Him alone. Our boast becomes Him. Turning to the Lord is what takes that veil. We put our faith totally in what He accomplished. His obedience, His righteousness, His blood. And Religious mindsets, because you see, whenever the Old Covenant is read, can refer to the Scripture. It can refer to, we can take the same Bible and take out selected little pieces, and it will put people back in the tomb. We can put people in bondage to a fear-based religious system of control, because we feel God is not... Pleased with me, I've got to just try and live this life as best as I can to somehow just appease Him. And always feeling like I'm just not cutting it, I'm just not good enough. I come into a place like this this morning and everyone's singing and I get caught up with it. But if you really knew what I was like, if you knew about the, you know, if you knew, you know, the way I spoke to my wife yesterday, I'm not really qualified to stand here and say, lift him higher, higher and higher, lift him higher. Or oh, because if you really knew about me, you know, you, you'd know. Oh, my friend, once and for all, by the sacrifice of one, you have been made holy. Religion cannot control that. It's it's explosive. I wasn't supposed to preach these. I was supposed to just tell you them. Okay, sin. Okay, some things that are taken away. Sin, law, religion, disgrace. Oh, there's a beautiful scripture I saw in Luke one twenty-five. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. He wants to take away our disgrace so he can show us favor. God's grace is unmerited favor. That's what it means. So what's all the talk? Grace, grace, grace. All it means is God is allowed to be as good as He wants to be because of what Jesus did. Okay? We want another definition of grace? No, well, that's it. That's as good as it gets. God can do anything He wants to do in your life and our lives just because of what Jesus did. And that makes Him happy because He wants to do that. So He he wants His presence to be in this meeting this morning, not because the people in the front row have fasted this week. They could have played tennis all week. 
And God would have pitched because, in fact, He prefers to pitch then because no one can say, sure, I'm glad we fasted that extra day. You know, we had that extra quiet time. We prayed that hour longer. Oh, Terry, Terry, my brother. One more hour and the presence will come. No, no, God's presence just wants to come because He can, because what Jesus did. Now we've got to get that sorted out. We can't boast about what we do anymore. Ouch. All our courses, you know. If we do this and we do that, you know. Blessings and cursings. Shame, it's all gone now. God can be as good as He wants to all the time because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is grace. That's what grace is. And now... That's unmerited favor. And he can do that because he's taken away our our disgrace. What God gives us is infinitely more valuable and precious than what he's taken away. It leads me to my sermon, which I hope to do in ten minutes this morning. Because I have considered a few things that can be perceived as being taken away that leave a vacuum. And we looked at one of these two weeks ago around spiritual disciplines. If it's true that if I never pray and never read my Bible again, God's still going to bless me, God's still going to love me, and nothing has changed, then I don't have to read my Bible and pray. But I know it's good for me. And I know when I do that, my mind is renewed, so I enjoy my inheritance more. So how do I, it seems to something's been taken away now because it's not law-based, duty-driven. You have to. Have you had your quiet time, brother? Have you done your prayer? Have you put your armor on this week? Have you done your spiritual mapping this week? Have you? No, no, now all that stuff has been done. Now, you know, there's no reason why I couldn't just get lazy now. You're quite right. So we say, God, give me the desires of my heart. I want to be, I want to spend time in your word because when I'm in your word, my mind gets renewed, which is repentance. When I'm in your presence and praying, you're so much closer to me. That's anointing. I want to be in that place of, I know your presence is always here, but I want the manifest presence. Now there's a difference between just the general presence and the manifest presence. It's like moisture in the air, is in the air everywhere, but when it thunderclouds, that's manifest. You can have the general presence or the manifest presence. I don't want to just live in the general presence of God. I want to live in the manifest presence of God. So I've got to ask now. I've got to say, Lord, would you give me that desire? Can I give you a couple? I think you can take a few of those. And I'm not going to have time to preach them, so I'm going to have to really just state them, give you a scripture, and I know you're going to go and look into it yourself. How's that for faith? Imagine if church was just a place we taught the word and then people actually went home and went back and had a look and took it for themselves. Wouldn't that, isn't that a, that's, that's an amazing thought. So we wouldn't have to just rely on that one hour a week of Bible teaching, or 30 minutes in most cases, and we might actually grow for ourselves in the word. Because we take what has been prophetically declared, that's preaching, and we go and we examine it and we get it and we meditate on it. My darling daughter from Cape Town spent a few weeks with us. She came out of last Sunday a little bit disturbed because I said some things that she didn't understand. So when I was, the day before she went to the airport, she said, oh, amazing thing happened. I said, what? She said, 
I went and read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And you know what? Everything you said was in the Bible. I thought, that's a good thing. I said, why don't you usually read your Bible? And she sheepishly said, not a lot. And you see, those kind of minds can be taken into anything. Because you can use that book to reinforce any ideology. But when you have to go to yourself and do proper exegesis on passages and see them in their context and allow Scripture to interpret Scripture and see not every time what he said is to you but for you and all the principles of hermeneutics, suddenly this book starts saying what we actually believe it's saying. I said all that to say, I'm just going to give you these notes. Jesus was taken away in the prime of his life. And we could have said, remember we're talking about the subject, um, taken away in order to establish. And Jesus cried out, please no, please no. I don't know, in his moment of weakness. But what was established was a bride that he loved with his own blood. Ephesians 5.24. He takes away our sin so that he can give us righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 57, I believe. He takes away our old nature. Oh, please, I want to hang on to my old nature. I like the way I was. I want to do the things I used to do. I'm scared if I... And he gives us a new nature. He takes away the letter. Now what? Lord, if you take away the, 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 the rules and regulations... Then we're just going to allow people to do whatever they want to do. This doesn't sound like a good thing. I don't know, God. I'm not God, but you know, if I was God, I don't know if I would take the rules and regulations of the people and, and all the, you know, those kind of do's and don'ts thing because aren't we just like, like letting people go wide than the parameters we should give them? Taking away? And He gives us His Spirit. And we become a new creation in Christ. And this new spirit longs for Him. Do you think it's a big risk God took? Taking away the law so that He could give us His spirit. Who'd long after Him. Hunger after Him. Follow after the leading of the spirit deliberately. And I'll fulfill those little rules and regulations accidentally. The Holy Spirit. The anointing of love, his gift of love in my life, fulfills the whole law anyway. So, takes away, he took away the security blanket in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. They were a nice little church, comfortable doing nice little church things, singing nice little church songs, and all prospering and living in the favor of God, and that is a good thing. But they weren't getting very excited about this message that he poured his blood out for. A little bit of persecution came, and we see, whoops, here's a concept that actually went out and began spreading his word. You know that there's hundreds of preachers sitting here this morning, but there's only one operating for this little hour on a Sunday morning, but there's another how many hundred hours in the week that there are hundreds of preachers going everywhere. Wherever they were scattered, they were preaching the word. Take away in order to establish. He removed the curse of the law, Galatians 3 verse 8 says, so that we could receive the blessing of Abraham. 
There was a curse built in. It was part of the genetic code of the, of the law. And anyone who slips into a legalistic religious system, there's a curse in it. But the blessings of Abraham are based on faith. Someone said to me the other day, yes, I'm 100% for, for the teaching of God's goodness and grace and righteousness, but what about man's responsibility? Very good question. So glad you asked. Man's responsibility is faith. When you understand that, now because you guys are just talking about positional, positional, in Christ, righteousness. What about man's responsibility? Yes, I agree with you. It's called faith. That's why we had to repent from dead works. And now we enter into the, the good works that he prepared from the foundation of the earth through faith. Hebrews 11. It, that's what pleased God. Without it you cannot please because that's the covenant he honored. The covenant of Abraham. It's faith. You say, yeah, well man's responsibility is he should pray more. Well, if man is living in faith in God and faith in His presence, the Word says pray always without ceasing. Never mind have a good prayer time from day to day. But that's faith. That takes a faith life to live continually praying because you're just continually in the presence. You don't feel ashamed. The heavens are open. You enjoy communing with your Father. You get up every morning. You say, Father, let's go into this day and be victorious. There's no running away or hiding from God or feeling embarrassed, feeling ashamed because you can pray all the time with confidence. We have an intercessor at the right hand of God the Father and He's looking out for our good and His blood has once and for all made us holy. What a wonderful way to pray. What a wonderful way to pray. Now, a man's responsibility, you need, you need to witness more. You need to go out and witness to the lost. Now, when I'm living in faith, in what Jesus did and His obedience, and I'm starting to bubble up in the inside of me because it's such good news and it's really set me free, and I'm not feeling all condemned and discouraged and oppressed and depressed and unimpressed, and I've got to go to somebody and say, accept Jesus and you can be just like me. They say, no thanks, I've got enough problems of my own. Faith. Man's responsibility is faith. God's word says it, I believe it. That settles it. That's faith. Every word. I can read anything in this book. Well, what about, you know, when it says, do not be drunk. But, yeah, but it says be filled. You see? So everything he takes away, he replaces with something infinitely more wonderful. And it's a life of faith. I said I wasn't going to preach this. But anyway, let's try to get through the last few in this last minute we got. Remove the curse regarding finances, and it's replaced with the blessing of cheerful giving for the gospel. And that's what Jesus taught. That's what the New Testament teaches. Nothing wrong with tithing, but he's looking at the heart. The widow's might. Given, it will be given back to you. Press down, shake it together, running over. For with the measure you give, those who sow generously will reap generously. It's inheritance. It's a, a, a spiritual law. It's seed in your hand. You've got money in this pocket to pay your rent, your school fees, your grocery bill. You've got seed in this pocket that can be multiplied in the harvest field with a cheerful heart. We're not taking away one thing. Oh, have you heard down church down at 10 Harvey Road? We want to join that church because I believe they've given a discount on tithing this month. 
Yeah, the pastor got up and said, you know, we don't tithe anymore. So, hey, are we going to join that church? Hey, wonderful. Keep my bucks in my pocket. You must check out lack of church they got. I don't have to give anything to that church. They even give free coffee. This is a bargain. No, he replaced it with something infinitely more valuable. It's called partnering in the gospel with a cheerful heart, giving and seeing the return of God. Whatever he takes away, he replaces with something infinitely more valuable. Luke 10 verse 42. I'll try to close with this verse. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. You see, this message is all about what he removes and what he replaces it with. In a nutshell, he removes our ability to boast. And now our boast is in Him. What Mary chose was better. And that won't be taken away. If you choose Him above all the other stuff, that will never be taken away. You'll be established in that gospel. Paul said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel. In Philippians 2, you can read this. I was circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had a great CV. He had a fantastic repertoire of his accomplishments. And he says, I counted all dung. And we could use another word there, but it wouldn't go across so well this morning. That's all dung. He used the strongest word he could to show what, the stuff he used to boast in. What he considered it. And he goes on and says, That I may know Christ and His righteousness and the power of His resurrection. You see, that can't be taken away. You are established in that. A friend of mine said he saw a bumper sticker on a car the other day and it said, Jesus can. And he thought about it and he said, But that's wrong. I want to put another bumper sticker on my car. Jesus has. Now we know Jesus can. But Jesus has. And when we choose that, when we choose what He has done, and we live by faith, that's our responsibility. When we live in faith to that, it's not that He's taken away a whole lot of things and now we're left with this vacuum, or oh, now what do we put in its place? We've just begun a journey of something infinitely more valuable. Can you say amen? Let's stand up together. Lord, we've just enjoyed such a sweet time in your presence this morning. There was just like a sense of fresh bread here. Can we go today just full of you in in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Conscious of your presence, moment by moment. Can we leave this place today just knowing that when he was lifted up, he drew me closer and closer. And Lord, I want to pursue being closer and closer. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't feel they know the Lord or closer, that's all you've got to do. Say, God, as Jesus was lifted up, as Jesus was lifted up on the cross, but now as he's lifted up in his people, draw me close, draw me close. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close it there. God bless. Have a wonderful day.